Our first scripture passage today is found in the book of Amos. We'll be reading in chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. And from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All right. Well, I thought I'd start this morning with a little bit of controversy. How does that sound? All right. Uh, This may be the most controversial thing I say all season. Is or isn't Die Hard a Christmas movie? One of our children is raising our hands, saying, yes, it is. For those of you who are not involved in this controversy, like me, so let me sort of catch you up. Apparently, I've never seen the movie, but apparently the the whole setting is Christmas. There's also lots of explosions and killing people, I think, and other very non-Christmassy type things. But because there's like Christmas in the background, people think of it as a Christmas movie. Is this correct? All right, so I don't have a dog in this fight. You can watch Die Hard all you want to on Christmas or Christmas Eve, doesn't really matter to me. But I do think it's funny, and funny's not the right word. It's just interesting that what makes Die Hard Christmassy actually doesn't have anything to do with Christmas, right? It's, it's the tinsel, it's the lights, it's that it happens during the Christmas season. And so what makes something inherently Christmassy? Is it because it it has red and green, and therefore immediately it's a Christmas? There are certain things I can't wear in my wardrobe at other times of the year because people will think that I'm dressed like Christmas, right? Red and green equals Christmas. Or twinkle lights, or peppermint flavoring, or sleigh bells, or poinsettias. Try and be a poinsettia distributor like in March. Okay, it's a bad business plan. There are certain things we associate with Christmas, and not that that's 
bad. There's nothing wrong with poinsettias. But they don't really have anything to do with Christmas at all, do they? At least not Christmas as we who are Christians, Jesus worshipers, do. Uh, somewhat relatedly, I was reading an article this week, just a quick little blurb about some legislation that some senators are trying to push through about quote-unquote cyber grinches. Um, there are these robots who are trying to, whatever the popular toys are, when they go on sale, these bots swoop in, buy out all of the inventory, and then they sell it for like twice the amount, right? Cyber grinches. And as one politician said, the bill seeks to stop cyber grinches from ruining kids' holidays. Now, to his credit, he uses the word holidays. He's not actually referring to Christmas, the celebration of the Christ child. However, is that what would ruin Christmas if we couldn't get the newest and greatest toy? And then the Grinch, as we saw on the screen. What was the Grinch's idea of Christmas? What was the Grinch's idea? When the Grinch thought about Christmas, he was going to take their stockings because stockings meant Christmas, right? What goes in a stocking? This wasn't actually, but that's good. Interactive is good. That's all right. Stockings are filled with presents. This is what Grinch thought Christmas equals. At least in this scene we saw for Grinch, Christmas equals gifts, and not just gifts, sort of gratuitous ones. It wasn't just that they sang songs or made music, it's, it's that the instrument calls one of them some sort of synthesizer. It's like they've taken an instrument and like totally contorted it so that the sound it's making isn't even music anymore. And the presents are just, uh, again, gratuitous. The children are running amok and making all kinds of noise, and, and even the feasts that they eat, they're coming together to eat food. That little man, just the man hopping out of the, whatever the cloche was, and the next one, and in the end, it's just an apple, right? Like, how, ma how many unveilings does one need to serve another person an apple? I make this point to say it, <laughs> it, it wasn't the kindness of the Who's that Grinch was opposed to, right? When he wanted to stop Christmas from coming, he wasn't thinking about generosity. He wasn't thinking about worship. He wasn't thinking about family. Because the Christmas that the Grinch up until that point had observed didn't mean any of that. Now, the Grinch was wrong. And he will find out by the end of the little clip that Christmas actually meant a lot more to the Who's. But I think it's telling that he was able to have that impression, right? To have watched from Mount Crumpet all those years and to only be able to say Christmas equals these frankly superficial things. Again, the Grinch was wrong. But could it be that the Who's were also just a little bit to blame? How is it that there wasn't more depth on display for the Grinch to see?
Today, we are uh, continuing in our series about the Grinch, but Scripture, and as I've, you've, you've heard mentioned already several times, so apparently we really want you to pay attention to this, um, Advent conspiracy, this concept of making Christmas about Christ. Uh, today, we're going to study a person who got Christmas very, very wrong in Scripture. Matthew 2, which you heard read earlier by Pastor Tina. Uh, you know, the beginning of Matthew, in Matthew 1, we get, we get this sort of idyllic story of the birth of Jesus. But it is, while it is very human, it is also ambiguous as to time and place and culture. And then in Matthew 2, we get very real world in that it gives us a date and a time and a history and governments and political machination. I mean, like now we go from sort of idyllic Christmas story to the rubber hits the road of the real world. And we're introduced to, perhaps this is a stretch, but you might say, Matthew's Christmas story Grinch, King Herod. The occasion upon which we meet King Herod is these gentlemen, these magi who come from the east, uh, wise men sometimes referred to as kings, who have seen a star. They're not even sure what they're looking for. They know that something significant has happened. They even can go so far as to say this star signals the birth of a new king but they don't know where to look for him or really what the whole backstory is. But nevertheless, based on what they know, they are coming to worship. It's this line about coming to worship the newborn king of the Jews that gets King Herod all hot and bothered, which is fair, right? Like when you're in charge, you are the king, and someone says, I'd like to find the king of the Jews, can you help me find him? Like, his reaction, not fair, but at least it's, it's understandable, is, wait a minute, I'm the king of the Jews. Who's this other kid you're talking about? Which is precisely how Herod reacts. Now, as always, we're trying to fill in the details based on other sources and other things we know about history, about who these people are. We just get sort of this little picture about King Herod. But based on other things we know, here's some things that are true about King Herod. Uh, King Herod, as far as the Roman government was concerned, was a Jew, okay? Just Anybody who lived in that area who was monotheistic, whether they're Jewish or uh, Samaritans or Edomites, the Roman government doesn't care, right? They're just, that's a Jew. And so King Herod, who actually wasn't Jewish in the way that the Jewish people thought of themselves, was, however, an Edomite from Edom. Again, as far as Rome's concerned, it's all the same. But as far as the Jews are concerned, he ain't one of them. So, Herod establishes himself as king by military conquest, meaning he has conquered his own people, the people he's trying to rule. The hated Roman Empire has sanctioned him. 
And while we can't possibly know what was going on in his mind, you have to imagine there was some level of needing to prove himself. And one of the things that he did, and again, we know this historically, is that he completely renovated and enlarged the Jewish temple. He also accomplished a lot of other cultural and architectural feats. But you have to think, especially, I mean, this major building campaign, he's trying to prove to the Jewish people that he belongs on the throne. Now, again, I, I might just be reading things into history, but he invested a lot of time in trying to build up their temple. And yet, here comes these guys saying there's another king of the Jews. And all this time, he's been trying to establish this time, he's been bullish himself as bona fide. It's interesting that Herod never questions the wise men, the magi. In fact, he takes it at face value. He, if you will, believes. He believes the magi that there has been a star and that there is a new king of the Jews that has been born but he completely misses the point. Whereas the Magi see this as a miracle and they are coming to worship Jesus, Herod is deeply threatened, troubled. Uh, let's see, our current translation says disturbed. And again, from context, you can only assume it's because he receives what others see as good news as very bad news for him. So he makes pretense of wanting to worship. He says and does the right things, the externals, the external observa er, observations, and by that I mean the way in which he observes the worship of the Christ child. All of that looks right from the outside. He offers to help the Magi. Of course I'll help you find where this little guy was born. I got some friends over here, the scribes and the, uh, the chief priests. I'll, I'll, let's bring them all in. We'll find this out together, right? And then the scribes and the chief priests who also believe they have the right information. They can say exactly this is where the baby was to have been born in Bethlehem. And then Herod even goes so far as to say, I would really like to worship this king too. How about you do me a solid, head down there to Bethlehem, find out where he is, and then come on back and I can celebrate Christmas myself. But as we all know, that was just a ruse. It was pretense. The form looked all right, but the substance was the pits, right? The thing is, Herod wasn't just acting like a hypocrite, because he was. But he was also robbing himself of experiencing the greatest gift that humanity would ever receive. He's on the literal doorstep of God becoming flesh of the Messiah, which again, theoretically, his people, if he is a Jew, have been longing for. And all he can think of is his kingdom. His kingdom 
seems like a really big deal, but it's peanuts in comparison to the kingdom of God. So he focuses on the externals, and he's not just a Grinch to the people around him. He's a Grinch to himself, right? His heart is three sizes too small, and he just sort of perpetuates that misery for himself. In terms of where this leads us, the second passage that I wanted us to consider today comes from the book of Amos. And the context here is, once again, slightly different from our own. In the book of Amos, Amos is preaching slash prophesying to the Israelite people about, about the ways in which they're just blowing it as the people of God. And it's not that they're too focused on parties or too focused on Christmas presents. It's, although there are some similarities, they are too focused on self-indulgence in that they're more than happy to exploit people, impoverish workers, basically just be an unjust nation so that the people in the upper classes continue to live at uh, the lifestyle to which they've become accustomed, right? And Amos really focuses on the ways in which their worship, in light of this, is just sort of empty ritual. That, that clanging cymbal or the, the sound of the gong that's just meaningless, as Paul talks about in the Corinthians, unless there's love, that it's just a noisy, clanging cymbal. This is what Amos is saying to the Israelite people. He says, you know, he's talking about their festivals and their assemblies, essentially their, their enactment of worship. And it's not, it's not that the practices are wrong. So here's how one commentator writes it. It's not that the worship is wrong. The worshipers have a problem. So it's not that they're not supposed to be singing songs, and it's not that they're not supposed to be sacrificing. It's just that these rituals are empty. They're all a pretense, an external package that looks right, but what's on the inside is really just the pits, like Herod. Now, in Amos, and then for us, not that the way we celebrate Christmas is wrong. Again, Watch Die Hard on repeat. I don't care. Also, I'm a big fan of presents. So don't hear me saying that the way in which we worship during the Christmas season is wrong. But might we be stealing from ourselves the true joy that is available at Christmas? Because we focus on the noise. I know I'm mixing all my metaphors. We're pulling from the Grinch, and we're pulling from Herod, and we're pulling from Amos. But the point is, what is Christmas all about? And I don't ask the question again to bop us on the head for singing Christmas carols and eating roast beast. I happen to like those things. But might there be more? Again, this Advent conspiracy concept, for those of you who've been around for a few years, we've highlighted this, I think, now for five years in a row. 
couple of years, we actually focused the sermon series directly on it. The past few years, we've really just made nod, a nod to it. Um, it's called a conspiracy, quote unquote, because the conspiracy is to make Christmas about Jesus, which is ironic that one would have to engage in a conspiracy to do that. But the churches and the pastors who started this just sort of acknowledged that Christmas as we celebrate it culturally has gotten away from us. So not to throw stones at other people, but for those who are Jesus worshipers, is there a way in which we could do this more fully? So again, the first concept is worship fully. The next concept is spend less, not spend nothing. There's nothing wrong with spending money. Gift giving is a way to express love, usually, unless you're trying to buy someone's love or impress someone with the amount of money you spend or, I don't know, any other way in which maybe we sort of buy into the lie that Christmas is a lie equals noise. The third principle is that we give an oxymoron, spend less but give more. The give more concept is like give what actually matters, maybe more than a new bicycle you really like to go on a date with you. Maybe time is a way that we give. And then finally, love all is this concept of recognizing the extraordinary gift to humanity that is Jesus. How do we say thank you to God for that? Maybe one of the ways we can do that is by mimicking God's generosity, using that self-givingness that is God, that is imprinted in us as made in his image, and using it to bless others, the less fortunate, hence the tree. All of these things, again, don't point, don't point to the ways in which we celebrate Christmas being wrong. But maybe they just aren't enough for our own sake. Again, no guilt, no running around yelling at people for saying happy holidays. Just thinking about those who actually are Christians. Have we... Have we robbed ourselves, like the Who's, of the depth of Christmas, which we know is there? But somehow, what's the word I'm looking for? Camouflage is not the word I'm looking for. Somehow we've hidden it or missed it or some other word that my brain can't quite capture because we've allowed ourselves to be distracted to our own detriment. And so this Christmas, and every Christmas, might the celebration that we have demonstrate to the Grinches in the world that Christmas really is something more. The last sort of illustration or story that I'll share um, comes from an opera, which I confess I have not seen, Amal and the Night Visitors. Are you all familiar with it? 
written in the 1950s by an Italian opera composer. It was actually, it might be the only, it certainly was the first opera ever written specifically for television. He created it and wrote it for NBC. The story is based on the tradition of the wise men. In Italy, the way in which their, their uh, excuse me, Christmas cultural practice is more to focus on the wise men coming and giving gifts. And, and in this story, which is entirely fictional, but based again on the scripture, scriptural story of Christmas, there is this young boy named Amal who is um, crippled. So maybe the Italian tiny Tim. Uh, Amal and his mother are impoverished. At one point, they had had a few sheep that they tended to as a way to make income, but basically they got to the point where they had to sell the sheep just to make a living, and so now they literally have nothing. And in the middle of the night, these wise men who are opulently dressed come knocking on their door and say, we need a place to stay. Could we possibly stay with you? Amal's mother says, of course we'll offer you hospitality, but all I have is a cold fireplace and a bed of straw. They take her up on it anyway. They fall asleep. And Amal's mother gives in to temptation and steals one of the king's gold. Gold that was meant for Jesus. One of the king's or wise men's servants sees it happen. He starts yelling and being fairly aggressive to Amal's mother. Amal defends her. All of this ends up waking up the wise men. Anyway, the wise men, who, who both sees the love of the son for his mother and the love of the mother for her son, although both of which were misdirected, stealing is never good, Nevertheless, tells them to keep the gold, because in the end, baby Jesus doesn't need it. And they go on to sort of explain this, this king who will not need earthly wealth or power to build his kingdom. And sort of like the, the, the moral or the crux of this opera is when the mother sort of breaks down and says, I have waited my whole life for that kind of king. And suddenly the, the gold seems meaningless in comparison, right? She tries to give it back. And then she says, well, giving back the gold isn't the same as giving a present myself. I, too, would like to send a gift to worship this Christ child, but I have nothing. And so Amal, his only earthly possession is the crutch, and he hands it over. And he's healed. Okay, this is how the opera goes. And then with permission from his mother, because now he can walk and he doesn't need the crutch, he travels with the wise men to Jesus to offer his crutch as a gift to the new king. None of this really fits into our traditional understanding of the Christmas story, except for, again, that biblical piece of the wise men. But could it be that stories like these really do encapsulate that true meaning of Christmas?
There's nothing wrong with having gold. In fact, the wise men were bringing their gold to Jesus. But in the end, he doesn't need it. And for us, the gold is worthless in comparison to the gift that is the Son of God. So again, this Christmas, in addition to all of the celebration and the festivities, let us remember and enjoy the gift of Christmas, which is Jesus Christ, God's Son. Let's go to God in prayer. Thank you, Lord, that there is more to Christmas, more to this life, that this life is not um, just a rat race, this life isn't just about acquisition, that this life has meaning and beauty and purpose and love because of you, both in your creation of us, in your coming to earth as your son, Jesus Christ, and ultimately in your death and resurrection, all of these things redeem our lives from the clutter, from the noise, from the hollow and the empty. Thank you that you give us those gifts. And again, may we take full advantage of them by worshiping you fully this and every Christmas and all throughout the year. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things.